Hello, friends. It's time to drop the needle on another episode of Supersonic Chat. This is the music podcast that can veer violently all over the place, sometimes into philosophy, sometimes into art, psychology, always around music and entertainment. Sometimes we'll hit you with some thought experiments. Uh, and really, it's all about our own curiosity and your entertainment. My name is Adrian Warhope. And my name's Leon Leroux. Adrian, as the keeper of the questions and the crafter of the conundrums for this fine broadcasted chat of ours, what sonic concepts have you carefully shaped into small spheres ready to ping pong back and forth with our mind paddles this week, mate? <laughs> well, as I was flailing my mind paddle this week across music fandom, I pondered the relevance of the album. You know, and what constitutes a, a collection or a body of work these days and, and, yep. and is it relevant? But then suddenly a light went on brightly in the mm. hoarder's house that is my mind <laughs> and it shone directly onto that much underrated, under-celebrated and glorious format that is the EP. Oh, interesting. The extended play. Which is ironic considering it's like the, the short version. So you got the long play and the extended play. You'd think the extended play would be longer than the long play, right? Well, here's, it, it all ties back to the definition because the extended play is simply an extension of a single play. So it oh. is derivative of the olden days where you'd have uh, seven-inch singles. They used to try and put two songs on each side and make them into an extended play. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, which in some markets became very, very popular. But today I wanted to chat all about our favourite EPs. I wanted to chat about the purpose of EPs, uh, nice. what they meant to us, what they might mean in the future. And I've come prepared as I show you, Leon, for those listening at home, my stack of CDs Whoa. on EP that I've been Pulling out of Pondering. my collection and listening nice. to this week. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, I, I reckon on that purpose of EPs, I reckon, you know, you, you cast your mind back. We've been, both been in bands before. Yep. When you're recording demos, right, you got four or five songs on there. Those little things, they're tidy and quick to record. Yeah. I reckon EPs, I reckon one of the big things about EPs is they're a nice low-risk venture where, totally. you, can, where you, can, you can just – Try something as a, even if you're a well-established band, you can try something. Chuck it on an EP, and it's 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 less of a st studio um, commitment for starters. Less of yep. a studio commitment, but there's also a bit of a different stigma attached. I think it's almost like in the 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 listener's mind, it's almost like an EP almost doesn't count towards an artist's oeuvre. Oh, that is a great. I agree. I agree completely. I think EPs can be experimental. Mm and creative, mm -hmm. you know, it's, they're, they're dipping the toe in. But, but I think also EPs have, there's a sense of immediacy yeah. without the, the fanfare and the build-up of a full yeah. album. It's a real snapshot and that's the yeah. glorious take on EP. Sometimes there might be obscure covers yeah. or just weird um, secret tracks or yeah. little, you know, cuts and splices and just yeah, strange totally. stuff, which I love. Uh, and um, it, sort of, it sort of sits in some ways a lot of time outside of the rest of the creative output of a band. Yeah. It's sort of something that sort of sits on the periphery, kind of like, just check out what also we can do. Or maybe like, let's try this, guys. And, and if it works out, they go, hey, let's just release this. Yeah. Because it's not quite canon, is it? If you think about yeah. the canon of a band, exactly. the lore of a band, you know, you don't necessarily throw up EPs, although there's a couple today I want to talk about where I think mm. the EPs strike to the heart of what the band is and are just Yeah, cool yeah I, got a, I got one of those. But, but just yeah. to, by introduction, you know, in Australia, the, the um, Australian Recording Industry Association, ARIA, calculates mm. albums and singles charts across physical, digital, and streaming to, to work out the charts. So they, ha they don't have a, an EP chart and they don't have an EP definition, but by, in Australia, by, mm. I guess, um, by deduction, we can yeah. say what an EP is by what an album is and a single is in the ARIA chart. So okay. the, the ARIA chart counts albums as a release with six tracks or more yes. and longer than 25 minutes. Okay. So, and then a single, they say, is anything less than that. But really, mm. if you think about EPs a single. are also then lumped into singles, aren't they? They are. But really, and some of the streaming services count um, EPs as between three and six tracks. Yep. And not longer than 30 minutes. So, yep. you know, that's what we're talking about is that small connect collection of work from an artist that's probably three to six tracks, mm. lot less than 30 minutes. So it mm. is a shorter burst from that band. 
Um, Interesting. You, what's, yeah. Tell me your first one. I mean, I'm keen to hear about oh, what you've got first. Okay. Here, I've got a little test for you first. Because okay, cool. I loved EPs because they were cheap and they were low risk and I could put them into my collection as a poor uni student or a poor high school student yeah. yep. and just experiment but – you know, it wasn't a full commitment of a $30 CD from Eatles at Erin Affair. So <laughs> it can be a risky thing, though, to, to dive into a band if you've not heard them before and getting an EP because it can be not necessarily representative of what they do. Total risk. That's, that's I guess, the joy. So I bought an EP uh, in 2003 based on a okay. two-sentence review in Rolling Stone magazine. Never okay. heard of the band before and never heard any music and I bought it and I loved it. Let me read. I'll, I'll edit a bit so I won't make it obvious, but let me read to you and see if you can guess what EP or what band this is. You ready? Yes. This is what Rolling Stone had to say it and I went, this is for me and I went out immediately and bought this EP. You ready? Okay. Yep. Four long-haired hotties from Nashville play Southern Boogie with a garage rock twist <laughs> on this debut EP. If the Strokes played Leonard Skinner, it might sound a bit like this. It adds up to five songs and not a weak moment among them. I've the edited that. The Hives? Not, not The Hives. I don't know where they come from. They might not be Nashville. I don't they know. They are. They're, they're from Sweden. Are they? Yes. <laughs> but you are firmly. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have been further. That is but, horrendously inaccurate. But in that I'm not garage, a, I'm not a Hives fan, vein. obviously. <laughs> I love the hives. No, they're in that garage, and I went crazy I for garage rock. Yeah, a yeah. Any other thoughts? Uh, Here's the edited bits. Here's the edited bits. Okay, Four okay. long-haired hotties from Nashville. These three brothers and their cousin play Kings Southern. Of Leon. Yes. There you go. So I bought Holy man, Roller nice Novocaine. Holy Roller Novocaine EP. Went straight out. Never heard it before. Yep. And. Bought the EP based purely on that review, and it was incredible. Keep that smile on your pretty face, cause you don't have much I can't take away. Don't you worry, baby, you won't feel a thing. Close your eyes, holy rolling over cane. I'd never yeah. heard them, uh, you know, four out of the five tracks on that EP made it to their debut album, Youth and Young Manhood. Yeah, yeah. And the, the fifth track, which is like the, 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 the throwaway one, called Wicker Chair, is one of my favourite deep cuts from that band. Wow. It's dripping off your face And you're losing your precious mind You're losing your mind but it was just a strong EP and I kind of lost my mind. I started growing my hair out. I grew a mustache. I just went a yeah. little bit crazy about garage rock and it was awesome. And the EP was just such a, a chef's kiss of an introduction oh, yeah. to this oh, band. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome. The, I originally got introduced to that band just because a, a friend went to America and had heard the band over there and bought the album for me just because we share a name. And there you go. I was like, wow, this is, this is, and yeah, he, he bought me youth, uh, that first one, youth, young and manhood is it? Youth and young called? manhood. Youth and young manhood. I always get it all confused up. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, um, I, I was like blown away. That band's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And this, so, so this EP came out before that debut album? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So it wow. was the first, it was the first EP, the first thing they put out, they'd signed to a major, I think it came out on RCA and They'd been writing some songs uh, hmm. for other people. They put this out and then, do you know what? In America, it didn't really take off. It took off first in the UK, um, you know, that fad band, fashion band scene that's so yep. so hot in London and, and the UK. They blew did up. It, um, did, it, did they release that uh, independently, do you know? No, like I said, I think it's oh, oh, it was it after here. they signed up. They, they just cranked it out after they signed on. Yeah, so it is on RCA. So I know that in Nashville there was a lot of songwriters, you know, a lot of songwriters go to Nashville to, to write songs and, uh -huh. you know, and I know Caleb and Nathan, the the two brothers, went there to write songs and they had some success. And then they started making their own stuff and a producer called, uh, I think his name's Angelo or something like that. Yeah. Must have sort of introduced them. They got signed just on the strength of their songwriting. and, and Yeah, whatnot. nice. So, yeah, and then and then it all fell apart in album four. 
Well, <laughs> I was with them. I was, I was with them. They burned hard. They burned deep in my life. I tell you, but yeah, I was, I was yeah. there right up until that uh, sort of stadium rock efforts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it was dirty, and when you couldn't understand the lyrics very yes. much, and and when they when they sort of sounded like they'd kind of. Um, they just stepped straight out from like a, a long night at the bar and yeah. grabbed their instruments in their garage. Man, they, they had really had something going. So good, and then they just—they got all cleaned up. They cleaned their sound. They, yeah. like you said, turned into studio anthems and whatever. And it, yeah. I mean, sorry, stadium anthems. And it just—I think it lost a lot of pizzazz and lost a lot of that that beautiful spontaneity that it had, and like the the craziness that you know and weirdness yep. it had. And that's why I, th- I throw back to the the EP as the yeah, you know, just the the kernel of genius. But also and that w- how much I loved them. It was great. Yeah, but also for that experience for you, taking a little risk and being so well rewarded too. Well, and it was the joy of discovery, right? When you feel like you own something. So someone hadn't told me that these guys were great. Someone hadn't said, these guys are awesome. They've put out their first album and I was late. I was there right at the start and and that felt uh, significant to me. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. What well, do you got? I mean, uh, well, I was, I'm hoping this one's not on your list. Primus Miscellaneous Debris is probably my favourite EP. Hey, there As I hold up the CD to the screen as, to show Leon my CD of the EP, Primus Miscellaneous Debris. What a fantastic EP. Yeah. Well, I really love this. I mean, it's what's cool about it is their very first exploration of recording covers only. Yeah. You know, it's really, really cool. I mean, they did do like a, almost a full-length recording um, called Rhinoplasty in 98. Yeah. But um, this one was like 1992, right after Sailing the Seas of Cheese. And, you know, I didn't really even know who they were covering until Same. much, much later. Yep. You know, like there's Peter Gabriel and STC yep. and the residents, of course. Of course. Someone called The Meters, who I don't know who the hell yeah, they Yeah, 70s funk Floyd. band. Uh-huh. And I think the in- intention for this was just a bit of a sonic snippet just to pay homage to mm. these bands that – that have been so influential on them um, as a band. And at the time I didn't really get how how much of an influence um, people like The Residents had been on Primus. But I, since streaming services have been a thing, I've gone and listened to the originals of all these. Oh, right. I've listened yeah. to some, not all. No, I've listened to all of them and it's it's kind of interesting. And, and my take today is I'd like to do a bit of a comparison of the covers and the the songs and I've got to say overall the covers I reckon are much better versions of the songs <laughs> might be yeah. might be bias on my part because I love Primus to death and I, I reckon I was definitely a, a super fan in my teenage yes me of too Primus. Yeah. yeah like for example that very first that, that that probably the best one on there making plans for Nigel yep. What a great song, but the original is actually kind of slow and sluggish and kind of boring. We're only making plans for Nigel. We only want what's best for him. We're only making plans for Nigel. Yeah, okay. Very 80s. You know, British XTC. Uh-huh. Yeah. But think about this. Like I had never heard of XTC in 19, in the nineties when I was a big Primus fan. I had some idea of Peter Gabriel. I did not know who the residents were at all. I hated no, Pink Floyd. I was never into Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah. Well, for the I meters, just didn't get no it. No idea. No, no. 
I, I just didn't get Pink Floyd um, no. a, at all. And I think, I mean, part of that is because they tend to put out really, really concept-based albums and mm. you've got to really engage fully to really get yeah. what, what they do. But something about this Making Plans for Nigel, all it's much, much faster the way they do it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of the interesting things like the ooh bit yeah. is much more pronounced and much clearer. I noticed one thing with all of these covers is that Primus's version, every note and sound is so much more crisp and clear. Mm. Everything else sounds flatter and you can't pick out the individual instruments quite as well mm. and all that sort of stuff. Things are a bit mashed up a bit and perhaps that's to do with 70s recording. Not sure. Yeah, mate, 70s, 80s. I think that this EP recording is a, is very live in nature. It's very straight up mm. delivery, band in a studio, playing these mm. songs through with less studio trickery and studio yep. production. And so yep. it probably is just a more of a true stand and deliver way of delivering these songs, which kind yep. of has, I think, a, a bigger, straighter impact. Mind you, these are the songs that I heard first. So... My impression yeah. of the song is that these songs are the songs. Oh, and I go back and listen to the other, the originals. And the originals sound like covers to me. Um, so I well, do prefer the originals. Let I prefer me, let me Primus's tell you version. The only one that I think maybe is better than Primus's version yep. is that is Peter Gabriel's Intruder. Oh, yeah. It's really atmospheric. Mm. And, I mean, I love the way Primus start it because it's so groovy and it's got such a nice strong beat that starts off the whole EP. Mm. Um, and, and Peter Gabriel's is more drum machine, but there's this great creepy intruder-esque feeling that Peter Gabriel produces with, it's almost like somebody's inner monologue as they break into a house. Right. I know. Whereas I think Peter Primus's is kind of like just funky and fun. Yeah. Whereas this one is, it actually really feels almost like it could be part of a musical or something. And it, it, it illustrates a scene really, really well. Yeah. But um, yeah, the rest are definitely, definitely superior in Primus's sense. But again, it just ex exposes or displays the joy of the EP where you're right, experimental covers, you can scratch an itch on an EP. It doesn't, it's not yeah. canon. You just can do your covers, put it out. Metallica did their $5.98 Garage Days Inc. Revisited EP of all their, you know, favorite covers of all these heavy metal bands and stuff. Oh, which did was, they? Yeah. Which is like, it's like late eighties or something. It was um, oh, cool. a limited run. Um, it was, a, it was very expensive to buy before they reissued it but you know yeah, bands right. do that you can scratch that itch fans can either dive in or not with this one it's it's it again here we go if you're playing um supersonic chat bingo it turns the prism on the band <laughs> of primus and you get to see a completely new aspect a complete new side to primus it's not that full thrash punk yeah. cartoony yeah. metal strangeness of caesar cheese it's covers in their own style and you're like I love it. It's different. That's it's totally weird. true. That's yeah, totally the joy true. of the EPs. Appar yeah. Well, that apparently EP, that was the first time that um, Les played his, there's a, a particular bass that he's got called um, a rainbow bass. Oh, yeah. Carl Thompson one that he's, he's yeah. it's got still that same curly signature style that Claypool has, but it's got these dark bands of uh, light and dark wood that are laminated together. Right. And that's the first time he played that six string fretless on that one. So that, it, was, that it was pretty great. That is a wonderful uh, instrument. Yeah. You know, the other – so we've had covers. We've had the buying an EP just to sort of get introduced. The, I, I do want to talk about the EP as a run-up to the debut album and there's some great Australian bands that I want to talk yes. about. Um, I've got four down here and I won't spend wow. too long on each of them. But I've in got terms of – The next two are mine Australian as well. Okay. Well, let's see. Yeah. Let's just see. So let me tell you. In 1996, I was first year uh, student at Newcastle University yes. and 
this band Grinspoon had won the year prior, oh. the inaugural Triple J Unearthed yes. song competition. I bought that Sick EP. Fest. Well, I didn't get the first EP. I was like, I oh, did. Sick it Fest, it's great. okay. The green EP, right? It, it, I, I own it now. But at the time, you know, I, I hadn't bought it. In 1996, uh, it was a lunchtime gig out on the lawn at the Bar on the Hill at Newcastle wow. Uni. The yeah. band, the, the, the back line and the instruments were set up on stage. And I swear this buckety, rusty old tour van pulled up to the car park and outspilled smoke and crushed up <laughs> VB cans. And this, these four cool-looking cats got out. Uh, Phil was in, Jameson, the lead singer, was in this all-green vintage tracksuit with Messier. Mm. And let's just say he was looking very refreshed at the time. <laughs> And the band just got up on stage. I had I knew Sick Fest, but my mate had gone, oh, let's go see this band. And they just, the first song was Champion, which has this incredible yes. opening bass riff. And then Phil launched into the first line, so you want to be a champion. And I, I was yeah. my eyes were bugging out. I was like, yes. this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that was so good. Yeah. So I, I went saw and bought them around the, that time as well. And and man, they put on a show. It was like back in those it was days. hard rock, but it was grunge, but it was different. It was alt leaning, yes. but it, uh-huh. I put, it was different. And they were so good. So I went out and bought the Liquor Bottle Cozy EP as I hold up the CD to Leon on the oh, screen. That's the one that that's I bought. That's the second that's one. That's the one I bought. Yeah. That, yeah. That doesn't have Sickfest on it, but it, but it has okay. Champion on it. Uh-huh. And it's, it's harder, it's heavier. Um, but I took that home. It was the first recording of theirs that I got. And it did a couple of things for me. It, it straight away cemented the band as one that I loved. Mm-hmm. And it also cemented and imprinted on me that live experience that I'm still talking about, you know, 30 years oh, later. Yeah. Um, yes, it was, 100%. It was, it was awesome. So I just really loved that EP. But they had the green EP, then they had the, li- the Liquor Bottle Cozy EP, and then they put out their debut album, which went on to, to great things as well. Yeah, um, that band so that- had such energy live. And awesome. I think that's one cool thing about going to a gig and buying an EP. And the, the third one I'm going to talk about is about going to a gig and buying an EP. But oh, yes. it's it really just cements that experience of the of the concert. And it kind of it, every time you listen to that EP, you're reminded of that concert. Yeah. And the EP is good because the, the album is is long. It's a bigger commitment and all that. But the EP, you go, I, I saw the gig. Maybe I've only got 10 bucks. So I just bought the EP. And, it, and you kind of treasure that little yes. snapshot that it's yes. something different to an album. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'll just jump to my third one then because yeah. that, that, th- that exact thing happened to me when I saw the butterfly effect. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. I, I saw that Brisbane band live at the Annandale Hotel in Sydney and I yep. was blown away. I remember thinking that that vocalist is one of the most talented people I'd yep. ever heard in my entire life. And this, this presence and the projection of that guy's voice um, plus the sound of the band, it was just yeah. like it was just chunky and thick and it was exactly what I needed at that time. And I bought that EP from the show and listened to it to death. It was a tidy five little songs, man. It, and yep. every time I listened to it, I was transported back to that show. I have judged the time, who has touched and who has harmed. I remember well, nails that slide across my face. That's so good. I, I also bought the Butterfly Effect EP. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen them live, but it was in that, maybe it was late 90s and we're talking yes. in that alt metal vein of yes. Tool and Carnival and those yes. kind of bands. Um, yeah. and, and I think the Butterfly Effect were really one of those bands that never quite realised the, their international potential. Like I just feel like yeah. they were an incredible band uh, and that EP was so good. So good. It really was. But, and, and I was, and then when they released a full album, I was super excited, thinking, man, yes, finally a full album. And then I was a bit underwhelmed. It was a bit of an anticlimax for me, mm. that album. It became 
a little clinical and a little um, studio, like a product of a studio. Mm, too much like of the same just, thing, like rinse and repeat uh, yeah. a little. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of filler and I think there was a lot of kind of trying to do a concept thing with the whole album and trying to create soundscapes and stuff. Mm. And it, was, it just sort of it didn't have the punch that that EP had, Punch is a good word. Yeah, EPs, mm. they don't stay around too long and they leave you wanting more. The great ones yes. leave you wanting more. So you never yes. get sick of them. You're like, yes. oh, it's over in 20 minutes. Man, I want more. And yes. That's the joy of the EP. That's what I love, you know, especially totally. I don't know why they're – and we'll talk about it maybe in, in a little bit, but just now with short attention spans and playlists and, you know, albums and streaming, albums being less relevant with streaming and all of that, what's the body of work? Why aren't there more EPs? But um, Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing. Um, uh, perhaps, I mean, perhaps EPs, they, they only work because they fit within a larger body of work. Yeah, like maybe. as an outside kind of experiment. Uh, well, I think there are different ways that bands are doing it now. So there's a couple of things. Kanye West put out a couple of albums that were seven tracks, seven track albums, um, which, which and, and just over 30 minutes. So I thought that was an interesting way to put out, and he put them out in a quick, quick succession. One was uh, the album Yay, and then he put out an album called Kids See Ghosts with a guy called Kid Cudi. I'm, I'm not a massive Kanye fan or a rap fan, but I just thought that was really interesting that, you know, he put out these quick bursts of bodies of work, and that worked. Compare that with like guys like Drake who put out 25 song albums now because streaming, Jeez. you know, yeah. they get their, their stream count up because, yeah, why not? But that's, that, that, that becomes irrelevant. It becomes messy. It becomes just bloated. I, I think. Yeah. Um, You've got to be able to curate like yourself. Yeah. And there's a couple of other things too. So Taylor Swift put out her full album Folklore, but she then carved it up on streaming and put out little chapters. She called them chapters. And she called some of them different strange names. So she called them um, the escapism chapter or the sleepless nights chapter or the yeah, I showed up to your party chapter, the ladies lunching chapter. And these are little six track vignettes that she's curated to give people um, an easier window into accessing that album project. Almost, almost Almost like a theme. Yeah. So she's grouped them thematically. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you'd call this a, um, and this is an aside, but I don't know if you'd call this an EP, but Meshuggah, you know, you're talking about pop. I guess I have to mm. talk about metal just to yes. counterbalance, you know. Even it up. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I've, um, Meshuggah put out what I would call an EP called I. It's a 22-minute mm-hmm. single track. Okay. I like that. Yep. Yeah. But it's got like, it sort of has, um, I guess it would be phases of the song because right. it does change it's not like the same riff the whole time it changes the whole time but it just bleeds from one track to another it just sort of is one song but if you look it up on song. streaming services or you bought like the 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 album can you skip tracks or nope. is it, it no it's just one, it's yeah, one okay. track yeah. i like yep. i like especially with a big conceptual metal band like Meshuggah, yep. like that yep. could be really interesting. It's probably one of my favourite things I've ever recorded. Right. It's I have to check technically that out. incredible. They are like, technically I played, I, I played it to a I played it to a fellow musician friend and he was just shaking his head in disbelief. <laughs> mental. <laughs> Absolutely going, mental. I couldn't, wow. hear, couldn't believe what he's hearing. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean I mean the la- the last thing I have to say on sort of current ways people are experimenting with bodies of work was, you know, I thought this was interesting. So uh, a Sydney pop artist, Greta Ray, who I really like and talked about before, she Mm -hmm. released four two-track duologies leading up to her debut album. So instead of putting out an an EP and whatnot, she she grouped two songs thematically and called them duologies and she released four of those and it gave her a chance. So it wasn't just a single with a remix Mm. or an acoustic version. It was two Uh separate tracks from the album and it gave her a chance to group them thematically and talk about you know her development of that track her writing of that track and her inspiration and i really like that it's kind well, of it's not really, quite you know the ep method but it's that's different. a really cool thing that streaming allows people to do now yeah is play around with how you're going to how you're going to um, people are going to access it and pe- how people are going to understand your music or you can release it in different ways and it it's not like it, you've got to re-record it or re-release it uh, as a pressing but you yeah. got to you can just go hey listen to it this way you know? yeah and if you discover that 
as your first way or taste of that artist, you might that those two track duologies might hold a really special place for you, mm. and you might keep coming back to that kind of thing. You know, I, I like yeah, the way totally, it can yeah. imprint or affect um, a listener. You know, in leading up to an album, from a label perspective, I think an EP gives a, a way to experiment. And it gives um, an artist less pressure. It gets to release, you know, there's less pressure before they make the biggest statement of the album. So, yep. you know, the, the EP can ease themselves into releasing music. And I guess it gives a record label a chance and the band to see who their fans are and what works and what, what gets a response and all that before yep. they yep. go into the bigger album. So on, on that note, there is a couple of bands and their EPs hold really special place in my life and listening experience. So one is the Australian band Ammonia, who I oh, got yeah. a CD sampler on a magazine and then I went out and bought their EP and they had uh, called In a Box, which yeah. is just cool. Really cool. Oh, f- I know that yeah. band. Yeah. 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 They yeah. had the big hit drugs. Uh-huh. Yeah, but they had uh, two EPs they put out first, and I bought I bought one of them. I own both of them now, but but initially I took a punt, and I really enjoyed that. And then I got into their debut album, Mint Four Hundred, when it came out. Um, that was in the nineties. Just recently, twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, Rolling mm. Blackouts, Coastal Fever, yeah. Melbourne band I've talked about. Yeah. They put out this incredible two two incredible EPs, almost mini albums, because one of them they put out has six or seven tracks. Mm-hmm. They call it an EP. Yeah. Uh, so it's the, 2015 Talk Tight and then 2016 French Press. Incredible bodies of work came separately. I own both of them on vinyl and uh, and CD. Of now. course you do. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was they have three vocalists and it was just a great way, a great shot, a great introduction to the band. And by the time the debut album came around, I, I was salivating. It was like mm. two really strong separate bodies of work that just um, lived in my, in my life for so long and it was, you know, I hold them really dear. So, you know, it was awesome. so glad that the that the debut album didn't disappoint as well. No. No, debut album That's was awesome. Great. The the sophomore album was also great and then their recent album I talked about Endless Rooms was sensational, you know, uh excellent. And I, and just and this is the one I want to spend a bit of time talking about because yes. these two EPs uh that I'm going to talk about in a second from Australian band in the 90s. You'll you may know what I'm going to say, but Maybe. when Regurgitator came out yes. in 1995 with their self-titled EP or their Hamburger EP. Yeah. And then yeah. I, I, think, I was nearly going to have this on my list and I thought, "No, nah, oh he's definitely going to have it on his list." Then they had their, their their I think either 6 months later they put out their new EP. They uh-huh. both are yes. wild. Yes. Wild experimental sketches, <laughs> really you know, that some of them they have Strong singles, really yep. strong singles. But it's interspersed at the end often. They'll have these secret tracks which have some moments of silence and they'll be like in studio laughing and just weird 30-second yeah. blasts of <laughs> song ideas. Check out the action with Regurgitator's number one hit with a bullet. Chuck up your nuts.
And then they'll have these like three minute long sort of hip hop flavored grooves and samples. And it's just incredible. It's, yeah, really, it's really, so good. really, really, really good. You know, Two Playing was their first studio, proper studio album. Correct. Right? Yeah. And that one also, they didn't lose the experimentation. It is no. highly experimental all the way through, which is kind of, it's really cool that they didn't take just the experimental thing just for EPs and then go, all right, all right, all right. Now that we're doing a studio album, let's get serious, guys, and not do any silliness yep. or, or muck around or, or yeah. like be experimental. They just yeah. kept going, which is great. And he, tell me what you think about this. When the band have strong singles leading up to a debut album that are on the EP. So think about Blubber Boy yep. uh, on the new EP. Think about Kung Fu uh, Sing. No, well, oh, that sorry, that's on two playing, isn't it? It sorry. is. No, but think about um, couldn't do it. Oh yeah. Both show up on the debut album to playing, but both yep. are weird. Not reinventing. Weird. They're yeah. reinvent. So couldn't do <laughs> like it. The ends lounge up- version of couldn't yes, do it's, it. It's the lounge version. <laughs> they they call it the happy shopper mix. <laughs> it's and so the, good. It's so good. And the blubber boy, which was a really strong <laughs> the vibrato single. organ. Oh, it's so weird. yeah. It's so weird. It's it's music. It's I what love it is. It. It's music. I know. It's so um, good. <laughs> And then Blubber Boy, they have Riding the Wave of Fashion Mix where they try and make it more up-tempo and a, a bit more poppy. Um, yep. Yeah, which is which is interesting. I love the EP versions better, but they keep that yeah. spirit of experimentation on the, on the album, which is totally. great. Yes. Um, but think about like at the Hamburger EP ends with track five, Pretend Friend, which is a couple of minutes. And then it has this hip-hop flavoured instrumental. Then it has this strange... TV theme samples, which is old Australian TV, and it says goodbye and thank you for coming, and then it explodes into this thirty seconds of in one ear and out the other, in one ear and out the other, and it just it's not, and you're like, it's what so just good. happened? Like eighteen minutes, twenty minutes, the EP's done. You're like, whoa, that is incredible. Now it is time to say goodbye. Yeah, I know. It's it's a real, real wild ride, that, isn't it? Wild ride. And then the new EP finishes with the 7 Foot 10, which is this dark, brooding, foreboding, heavy kind of track. And yeah. then um, it has all these other weird, like really cool groove. There's this – I used to play bass and I used to practice this bass groove that they had on this obscure outro bit. It was really, really good. And it has these other just noise explosions. And mm-hmm. both EPs left me breathless with – anticipation they still leave me more. breathless when i yeah. hear it yeah they i've been listening like, to them this week incredible <laughs> yeah like um uh, i like it like that that's on um the hamburger one right yes i like it like that yeah it's, like, it's so intense intense it's and like one minute it's pop then it's like hip-hop then it's metal and then it's uh-huh. like alt rock it's just and then it's weird. this noise in in the in that like over the overlaid in that chorus as well yeah you got this kind of groovy rap kind of thing and then just this brutal slow dirge of what well, noise it's so good excuse me no offense but here we go
So, and, and I guess the EP signified Regurgitator's commitment to like genre hopping. And I was yes. reflecting on that this week and I thought, you know, with the emergence of internet culture in the mid to late nineties, it really um, showed that bands were not compelled to stick to one genre and, and Regurgitator did not and have not all the way through their career. Like I would say their early EPs are quite heavy and then yes. to playing is more poppy and then they go really pop and then they go kind of real experimental and then they go right through various different guys. Yeah. But like all said, on the same album, but yeah. The, yeah. It was, yeah. I was going to say like even with um, unit, they, they still had some heavy songs on there. Yes, they did. You know, and then they had and like you said about genre influence songs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was just all it's all over the joint just based on whatever creative urges happened to strike them at the time. Yeah. But I lost my mind over those two EPs and it was just a big regurgitation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're amazing. They're, yeah. And like you said, um they just leave you wanting more. Yes. Yeah, they really do. Because because before just just as it feels like just as you're getting into them, they're over. Yeah. And they're crazy experimental. It somewhat compared to the album, the album's still experimental, but um, it, you can see A&R's got involved or the record label's yeah. kind of, you know, trimmed the edges and, and yeah. you know, made the creases a little bit more straight. Um, but the EPs <laughs> are, are hectic. You know, there is a they chaos. They really are. Yeah, yeah really, really exactly. Like I yeah. think the that, that sort of chaotic element really sums up the band too, you know, I yeah. Some of the best bit, bits of the band, some of the best elements of the band is that experimental chaos, you know. Yeah, it's great. totally, totally. Yeah. All right, well, the one that I'm going to talk about is, I guess, two EPs that kind of became an album and always oh, yeah. felt like an album to me. So yep. in uh, in the early 2000s, COG was oh, great band. awesome. Yeah. I really enjoyed this band a lot. They were really inventive, exploratory, and they had a couple of EPs called Just Visiting Part 1 and Part 2. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And th these are all both five five tracks long and um, you could sort of, when they were playing live, they'd do all kinds of things like um, they had um, people painting live, like so doing live painting. Um, in during the gig. To the music. Yep, during the oh, gig. I love that stuff. You know, they were just really trying to push the envelope with with what they could do. I mean, they're very they're very prog rock, so you know, they're mm. just trying new things all the time. And um, I really like how um each of these EPs felt like a nice little tight bundle, but then when they actually re-released it into the album just visiting they actually changed the order of all of them and kind of mixed up all the order of the songs and it actually flows really 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 well as an album that's interesting so they it's took really you know a, a few of the songs from part one to start off with and then then with song from part two and it was kind of, but it was kind of near the end of part two and everything just it, it was like it was made to be in that order in the first place that's great so they yeah, it's pretty great were there any new songs? They had just visiting part one, just visiting part two EPs. No, they just, yeah, no, they just and they shuffled the deck and uh -huh. made it okay, made it a cohesive body of work. Exactly, yeah. and yeah, and it great. just the flow of those songs on the re-release is just sounds so natural, and um, yeah, it, it's I just had a before we um, came to record this, I had a, a re-re-listen -re of this because I haven't listened to it in a few years. And yeah, holy mackerel, these guys are good. Apparently these guys, little factoid about these guys is they auditioned singers and they were just completely underwhelmed with what they heard and so the guitarist trained his vocals, just just did it himself. He's and got a great voice. Yeah, he yeah. really does. I'm like, wow. how, did, how did he not know that he was a good singer? Because he's yeah. so good. His yeah. range is huge and he's got this beautiful delicacy, did the voice. But then also he can really belt it too. Mm.
It's just so good. And Their drummer's fantastic as well. Yeah. I believe the drummer is the son of Kevin Borich, which is like a famous blues player in Australia. Oh, really? And his, his son... Yeah, he's the drummer in Cog, but yeah, that? yeah. Well, I saw I saw Cog band. play at Terrigal Womberall Country Club on a Sunday afternoon all ages gig. I reckon it was uh, many moons ago. Wow, and, yeah, and they were good live. Yeah, they were really good live. And I saw him in Sydney. I can't remember where though, but that was it. Was they're they're great, they're great, great band. band, and and their EPs really did them justice. I thought in the way they sounded live. There was this great presence and a really great energy in their EPs. And, and often EPs, right, so often EPs are independent. And I wonder with COG, because I know I'm pretty sure they were signed to a major label. It could have been Universal Music. Um, I, I wonder if their, you know, first EP was independent, maybe their second EP was not, or maybe they were on some development deal. And when it came time to do the debut album, then they're signed to a major and, and hence why they kind of reshuffled the decks with yeah, their... Yeah, maybe. You, do you know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah. Because it is a strange approach to say, okay, I've got these two EPs, let's just shuffle the decks, shuffle the order and make it a cohesive body of work as an album. So, Well, I think throwing back to what we start first started talking about, I think they were just recording it themselves, mm. um, you know, selling it at their gigs and, and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And because... And they probably did have an entire album ready to go, but they're like, oh, we can only afford to record five songs. Yeah. Let's just record these five. And then, like, if we make any money out of that, we'll record the other five. And, you know, maybe that's the way it worked out. Yep. I don't know. A little bit at a time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Very I mean, that's interesting. What, that's what, I, that's what um, we would have done as when I was playing in bands. We, were, we recorded yep. four or five songs just because that was all the studio time we could afford. Yeah. Everyone chip in, <laughs> see what we can do, pull together. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's good fun. Yep. That's the joy of an EP. The, you know, a couple of other reasons of e- why EPs are important, you know, the, the tour EP. So yeah. I'd read a lot about uh, a band called Teenage Fan Club in the 90s, um, great okay. Scottish power pop band, grunge power yeah, pop band. Yeah, never got into them. Oh, so good. So good. What you do to me. And I bought their tour EP. It was an Australian-only four-track tour EP. And oh. I guess this isn't anything that they've put out. It is purely a record company construct. But as a fan, it enabled me to hear four tracks. Two were from their 1991 album, Bandwagon-esque, and two yep. were from their 1993 album, 13. And so I got to sort of have a strong four-track sampler from I didn't have to per, go and purchase the full album of each, yeah, and that, and that was great, and I still just have a, it to this day. Just a little bite-sized nugget. Yeah, and on the back it had like it was Australian only tour EP, and on the back it had the map of Australia with all the different dates they played. And oh, all that cool! Kind of it was it was nice, really nice good. little bit of memorabilia. Oh, so good. The other one was you know I used to read. I remember at some point I was reading. Uh, street Press, you know, the drum media in Australia, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Street Press, and I kept reading about this guy called Ed Cooper, K-U-E-P-P-E-R. Now, Ed oh, Cooper yeah. is a famous Australian. He was a member of the punk forefathers, the Saints of I'm okay. Stranded fame. Um, you know, same time as Sex Pistols came out, sort of inventors of punk or on the vanguard of punk. Yep. He then was in bands called The Aints. He was in band called The Laughing Clowns. And then he had all these solo albums. And I just, I was reading all this stuff that got me very interested, but I didn't know where to start. I didn't know yep. what to do. And so I was flicking the racks one day at Brashes at Erin Affair or Tugger <laughs> or something, you know, in my Into team. the EP. And enter the EP. So I, I picked up this EP. It's called If I Had a Ticket. It's four tracks. And it was, I love it to this day. It was such a weird, different offshoot to what I was listening to at the time. I loved it. It allowed me to dip my toe in. And I went on late in later years. I actually own a, a best of greatest hits. Ed Cooper sings the greatest hits CD. Nice. Um, but yeah, it was just that ability to dip your toe in somewhat risk-free, uh, yeah, which was yeah. the joy of the EP. Really, really good. Nice. Well, do you want me to hit you up with a fact of the week? Would love a fact of the week. Well, we were talking about female artists last episode and as luck would have it, I was also listening to a podcast um, about surnames Yes. later on. I have found out that um, surnames in Iceland. So we were ta- I was talking about Björk last week. Oh, yes. And... Surnames in Iceland are not like surnames in Australia or in the Western world. Surnames in Iceland are 
whatever your father's name is with the word son or daughter after it. So Björk's surname is actually Guthman's daughter or Guthman's daughter. Okay. (laughs) It's Guthman's daughter. And and I only was able to read Guthman's daughter properly because – when I was talking about Heilung a few weeks a few weeks ago, I had learned a little bit about the the alphabet, and I'd recognised that weird little D thing like with a cross through it. Is it oh, yes. th? Yep. And it's Guthman, and I would have thought it was Gudman's daughter or something like that, but that's what it is. And I don't know if Björk has a, a brother, but if she does, his names would be Guthman's son. I got it, and maybe that's why so many Scandinavian names are like Peterson or they have a son yeah. in there, hence they uh-huh. are the son That's of. right. That's right. And, she, and oh, so she's got a son, so his surname would be Birksen. Okay. How about that? I like it. So that you're going to fact you live of in the week? Iceland, a fact of the week. If you live in Iceland, you would have a different surname to your sister. I, that is amazing, right? Boggling my mind and is I amazing. Know. I love it. Cultural <laughs> love it fact of the week. Cultural and musical Fact of the week. <laughs> well Pretty done. Cool. Oh, man, I've been loving listening to EPs. I like the fact you can mm. dip your toe in. I like how experimental they are. I like how creative they are. I like how you can just uh, go and see a gig and be reminded by the small snippet, the snapshots that are EPs. And I've yep. got a whole stack that I've just piled up that I'm going to keep listening to. I love so, it. Um, listeners, how- let us know what you thought about our discussion on EPs. What is your favourite EP? Tell us your story about why you love that EP. Yes. Do you think EPs are still relevant? Let us know. We would love to uh, hear your thoughts. Send us an email at supersonicchat at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it and you're wondering, how can I possibly repay these fine gentlemen? Then let me tell you, there is a way. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, give us some of those valuable stars or alternatively, just tell a friend and spread the good word. Thank you, listeners. That was another wonderful episode of Super Sonic Chat. Super Sonic Chat.